Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Got a couple of tweets here I want to share with you. Gary says, uh, sends it to me and to Sheriff Joe. We are at a place that it is necessary to arm our citizens here in Canada, never mind the USA. And Cookies, uh, most law-abiding gun owners in Canada are more trained than police. I've said forever that I don't have a problem with law-abiding people, Canadian citizens, having firearms. My problem is with the constantly in your face berating lefties who assume that anyone who owns a firearm is a latent sociopath. But the question is, are we at a time now where what Sheriff Joe Arpaio and Chief of Police in Detroit, James Craig, and Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, who's been on this show, would be with us this weekend, but he's not available, he's out of the country. They say law-abiding licensed gun owners should be carrying their guns, their firearms, with them in public, so that if there is an attack, a terror attack, that they can use those firearms to defend not only themselves, but the people around them. Or if they want to get out of the way, they can use the firearms to escape. That's what Sheriff Joe Arpaio said. Gary tweets, the sheriff is correct. The police make great backup when they show up in four minutes, and that's fast. I saw the photographs of those people who lost their lives, had their lives stolen from them. In San Bernardino, how the hell do you not get angry? I know there were people cheering it. What a world. What a world. Um, there was a question about whether San Bernardino was terrorism. Barack Obama was, wasn't going to call it that. He was on his workplace violence thing again. But, you know, somebody made the point. There's a guy who killed people he worked with. Could that have been a factor? I watched the lawyers for the family yesterday. They could have done better than hire those two, the lawyers. It's a pretty pathetic effort at explaining. But anyway, there's so many aspects to this. Dr. Christian Luprecht is an international security expert, professor of political studies at Queen's University and professor of political science at the Royal Military College. The last time I spoke with Christian... He was in uh, Paris, not Paris, in Grenoble. And it was right after the attacks in Paris. Christian, thank you very much for uh, for, for taking the time. I'm not quite sure where, where, to, where to begin with, but let me try this. Do we understand the level of social, the, the level of impact social media from groups like ISIS is or has emotionally on young people, particularly those who log on daily to sites in which they're implored to attack the West. Do we do we understand the level of impact these like ISIS and, and others like them have on on young people based on what ISIS puts on social media? On the one hand, I think we completely underestimate the impact. On the other hand, I'm concerned that this is an entire uh, space of 
warfare and confrontation that we have largely ceded to the adversary. Uh, and democracies are really dumbfounded as to how to regain some of the territory, that uh, the cyber territory that groups such as ISIS and their comrades in arms, um, uh, the various al-Qaeda franchises, al-Shabaab, Boko Haram, have occupied. And if you look at just how slick uh, if you look at the, uh, uh, the the latest issue of the of the ISIS magazine, for instance, I mean this is a highly professionally produced magazine. It's not just the social media. I mean, so 170 plus languages in which ISIS now has this propaganda out there. Um, but it's not just Twitter, Facebook, um, YouTube. It's uh, the the, the ability to have one-on-one -on -one chats on fire chat, for instance, on how you get yourself to uh, the territory that ISIS occupies and having one-on-one -on -one basically uh, tutorials on what not to do so you won't be detected. So this ability, it's, it's not just passively taking it in, but having a symmetric conversation um, and being able to be manipulated this way, I think, is, is vastly underestimated Christian, what sort of impact this is having. T tell me, tell all of us, please, why is it, you said, you didn't use the word, but I'll use this one, because I can't remember the word you used, but Western democracies are flummoxed uh, on how to respond and how to deal with the social networking social, and, and, and other messaging that's coming from ISIS. Are, is, it be, are, is ISIS that much smarter than, our, than the, the people who represent us? Are we, are we just incapable of coming up with a, with, a, with a reasoned and rational response that would be a, a logical counter-argument to the young people or the people who are absorbing the ISIS message online? So I think it's not just... ISIS. I think there's a sense of complacency among Western democracy, especially, I think, since the end of the Cold War. There was, I think, a, uh, uh, a rather optimistic, perhaps even arrogant sort of assumption that uh, liberal democracy has won the day, and so this is sort of the end of all confrontation. So like the, like the sign on the battleship or the cruiser or whatever it was that George Bush was on that read Mission Accomplished. Right. And you can, it's, so when I mean it's not just ISIS, if you look also, for instance, at Ukraine and the ability of uh, the Russian propaganda machine to get its message out, not just among uh, Russo, uh, Russian populations within the region, but more broadly internationally, and what trouble NATO and Western allies have had and continue to have in strategic communication to counter that. I think we've just been complacent about democracy. We take our democracy for granted, and we, we don't realize enough that democracy is, is, is something that needs to be defended, and that we live in an adversarial space where everybody from authoritarian regimes uh, to uh, folks who feel left out of the economic, political, and social space in which they operate will resort to violent extremist messages from within. To, uh, to, to get their points across and to recruit the disaffected uh, to their particular space. I well, mean, you know, the, 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 the argument is always... Let's get boots on the ground. Let's get the airplanes in the air. Let's 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 just attack militarily. Now, I understand that's one component, and 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 winning militarily would not be much of a would not be much of a job. Thirty thousand against the massed military might of of Western nations. But I've said this to other people, and I'll say it here to you. And I I want your thoughts on this. It, you cannot defeat an idea, a philosophy, uh, a belief with a bullet. 
So wh- how much trouble are we in, and what's the response? Well, if you want to track this empirically, Syria is the 14th time since 1980 that the United States is bombing one of the countries in the region. And I think the inference to draw from that is that this is perhaps not... Uh, that, that we've, I think, perhaps put too much emphasis on uh, the ability of ordinance to do the bidding of Western and allied interests and not enough on the, uh, what actually drives this extremism. Uh, so one of the ways to look at this is why is it that the outcomes in the Middle East and in Asia have been so different, both places that for decades had authoritarian regimes, but in Asia we've, we had authoritarian regimes throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s that produced economic payoff and where populations have now a certain reward from that economic payoff, not for everybody, but certainly some sense of that they provided stability and economic growth and everybody benefited. What we got in the Middle East was uh, essentially regimes that say, look, we will rob your countries blind, and in return we give you the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and we will detract you from the fact that this is essentially a, a kleptocracy that is uh, protecting tiny minority interests at the vast expense of the majority. And this simply cannot go well in terms of political stability, especially in light of the economic and demographic turmoil in which the region finds itself. And so arms, ammunitions, and ordinance can always only be one element of a very broad toolkit to which we need to resort to restabilize that region. Please hold on. We're going to come back with Dr. Christian Luprecht. One of the questions that I have for him is this. Uh, How concerned is he that people will turn on each other? Because that clearly is what ISIS is trying to get, trying to accomplish. How concerned is Dr. Luprecht that people will turn on each other in countries in the West? And does that serve, that argument, that question actually, serve the purposes of organizations like ISIS and Al-Qaeda? What's the solution? We live in a world of absolutes now. We establish territory and we defend the territory. I'm trying to get some answers to some questions and trying to find some, some, uh, I don't know, different, slightly somewhat different perspectives. Dr. Christian Luprecht, professor of political science at the Royal Military College of Canada, professor of political studies at Queen's University, international uh, security expert. Christian, what about this? It, it clearly appears to be the objective of groups like ISIS. We constantly mention ISIS because they're the number one organization that seems to be in our conscience. Um, They want to have people in our societies, in our Western societies, turn on each other. They're trying to get the societies to, their ultimate objective, I would think, be crumbled from within. Can they accomplish that if people get angry enough? So there's two interesting dimensions to this. One is the challenge of people who use the freedoms they have within our societies to pull down the democratic edifice that we have built. So as to say, people who, for instance, avail themselves of liberal gun laws in the United States in order to perpetrate acts of terrorism. So this is one challenge within this debate. The other is... So the two individuals who did the killing in, in San Bernardino would fit into that category. Right, and this is what much of sort of the challenge on the margins of democracy is about. It's about people who don't believe in our freedoms, but use and abuse those freedoms so, in order to make illiberal 
uh, points of uh, uh, political uh, points. Sorry to interrupt you, but how do you counter that when yesterday, I think it was, the United States Senate refused to hear legislation, refused to deal with legislation that would make obtaining firearms, buying firearms, uh, much more difficult, if not impossible, for people on terror lists? Does that make any sense at all? Well, the United States is a particular case, and I think the Second Amendment in the United States is not going to go away, and neither is the fact that we live next door to the largest weapons market in the world. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think we need the... the no, but the, what they're saying is they won't even look at legislation that would stop potential terrorists from getting a gun. Uh, well, I guess you might also counter that by saying that the United States is the largest purveyor of weapons, both within the United States and in the world. And so I think what you're pointing out is perhaps we need to be a bit more judicious about whose hands those weapons fall into. I mean, why is ISIS well, yeah. so capable? Because much of the firepower that ISIS has, it took from the rearmed Iraqi army and it took from American equipment that was left behind. Just to give you an idea of how much equipment ISIS has been able to get their hands on, they have 2,600 Humvees, American Humvees, that are in the hands of ISIS that various Iraqi units have left behind. So. Yeah. Uh, so there's certainly a challenge with, with, with the proliferation of weaponry that comes out of the West. Let me ask you this, because we have two and a half minutes left. What's in the immediate future? What, what do you see happening? What do you see as far as the, the, the potential, the likelihood, the inevitability, perhaps? I don't, you choose the word of bigger and worse terror attacks in, in Western nations. And, and what's the respond, what does the response have to be? Look, the Western state is very robust and very resilient, and we see this time and again. The challenge is that these attacks um, cause a uh, sort of illiberal, if you want, reaction by the Western state. Our democracies are premised on limited state intervention, but what we saw after Paris is the state vastly expanding its powers in order to, uh, to, to prosecute and find individuals who are associated with the cell and have similar likewise views. So the state, the Western state and the democratic state is able to protect itself, but I think it comes at a high price of exactly those freedoms and the justice that we cherish and the state of emergency that has now been extended past the three-month period uh, in France, I think, is indicative of the challenges that this uh, that, that, that the current um, iteration of ideologically motivated terrorism poses for democracies that we are prepared and find ourselves in a position of get, having to give up precisely what it is that we cherish in order to safeguard the lives that we live. So do we need to do that? Do we need to have, do we need to enact legislation that, that, that pulls back on, on individual freedoms that's, that says because of this particular specific threat, we're going to respond? Remember, Justin Trudeau enacted the War Measures Act in 1970 in reaction to the FLQ. Do we, need, do, we need, do we need a similar situation on an international level, or are we too weak-kneed? Do we have too many jelly-kneed politicians to enact that sort of Listeners who would have read my column in the Globe and Mail 10 days ago know that uh, I'm a big believer that perhaps we have, in the, in, the, in the name of privacy, imposed too many constraints on the security agencies in Western democracies, and that we need to have the trust that our security intelligence agencies, we need to let them do their work I agree. so that they can protect us 
from these challenges, and that is the best way to inoculate yeah. ourselves against the sort of overreactions that we see in France, where too many constraints on them right. a cost lives and b cause the states to cause the state to undermine those freedoms. Dr. Luprecht, I have to stop you because of the time, but I hope you'll come back. Thanks for having me. All the very best, Dr. Christian Luprecht, Queen's University Royal Military College. We are in uh, a time like no other. They're certainly in our living memory. So many questions.